welcome. Great day to worship. Thanks, worship team. Let's pray as we begin here. Father, we just want to thank you again for your holiness, your greatness, your love, your compassion, your goodness. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the work that you have done through your son. You demonstrated your love for us that even while we were still sinners, you gave your son to us. And I just want to thank you for that. We celebrate that today. So we just give this few moments to you and would you just uh, change us from the inside out as we look at this new topic. So we give it to you. These things we pray in your name. Amen. Last week we finished up uh, 1 Thessalonians and today begins a new series and it's a series that uh, I've had in the back of my mind for probably five, six years. And I never had the opportunity to put down what I think the scriptures convey. It's this issue of serving. And, and frankly, though, I think some people really don't like this topic. They'd rather avoid it. And you might be thinking already like this, uh, Ken's just going to make me feel guilty. He's going to try to get me to serve somewhere. Uh, but understand... You notice how we hear serving and we link it to the topic of guilt almost immediately and dread. And then we, and then we start thinking of justifications, why are we should, should we, we shouldn't. And I have to admit that sometimes uh, preachers have reinforced the connection of serving and guilt as well. I remember growing up in, in years in a, in a free church uh, south of St. Cloud and there would be some missionaries from time to time or pastors from time to time that would come and preach and they'd make statements like this. Um, if you don't serve, you need to doubt whether you have your salvation or not. Sometimes they would even do this. I remember a few times where, um, where altar calls were kind of the, the one means that they used, and it was, okay, everybody that's going to commit to obey to serve God, come down in front and show that you mean it. Now, um, <clears throat> let's do that here. Actually, I'm going to get my water. You're a little worried there, weren't you, for a minute? <laughs> but, but see, oftentimes, again, how quickly we connect this issue of serving to a sense of guilt. And, and that's not the purpose. But I want to throw out the first point. And if you're taking notes uh, in the bulletin, there's an outline you can follow along with a little bit there if you want to write some things down. But the key point for today, motives matter in serving. Motives make a difference in this area of serving Jesus. Now the word motive is kind of a heavy word. Let me put the definition up on the screen. We'll see this. Motive. It's a reason for doing something. It's why we do what we do, but it's interesting the, the rest of the definition, especially one that is hidden and not obvious. Motives matter. They're important. Matter of fact, everything we do has some kind of a reason behind it. Do you realize that? There is always a motive of why we do something. Even coming here this morning, there's a motive behind it. 
Now, maybe young children, the motive might be this. Mom and Dad made me go. That was the motive. And some of you might have come today because you know deep down that your spouse wanted to come when it was committed to going, and oh, I suppose I need to go. Do you understand the tension? I don't know if anybody, you know, you, you could come here to have a cup of coffee before the service. Maybe that's why you came, was the free coffee. Okay, maybe not. But um, understand everything we do, if we didn't have motives, if we didn't have reasons, we would sit there just like a bump. And we would do nothing. Do you realize that? No motivation, no reason. You just stay there. This is it. That would feel kind of good sometimes. But um, they make a difference. They truly make a difference. Now, I, I think this is also true that a lot of times we really don't want to dig into what are our motivations deep within us. We would rather avoid that. They don't want to, we don't want to look at the motives. We want to kind of stay on the surface of, of why we do what we do and why we act the way we do. Some people, I think, are really stuck there. And other people, I think, in terms, especially when it's connected to this issue of serving, we go, it's kind of black and white, can you either serve or you don't? It's simple. It's obedience. Matter of fact, Romans 12, let me put this on the screen. They would point to this verse. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Can it's black and white. Isn't it? Let me throw you what I think is a little bit of a false belief, and we'll go after it a bit. On the, on the screen, I said it this way, serving, this is a false belief, that serving is only a matter of obedience. So some will say, if you serve, you're being obedient. If you don't serve, you're being disobedient. Now, let me kind of put some water on that belief and extinguish it just a little bit. Luke 10. Look at Luke 10 here. You know this example. I'm, most of you have maybe read this at some point in the past. Luke 10, verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him uh, into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, we're going to come back to this text again some other time, but I suspect that some of you who know this story realize, understand that verse 40 implies something that we must not forget. So, for your notes here, a truth. This is the reality from this passage. We can get distracted by serving. Now, that word serving literally means to be waiting on tables, to do things to sustain. It implies acting, helping someone or something in some form. And when you stop and think about it, we serve our families, we can serve the church, we can serve organizations, we serve at work. There's all different ways that we end up serving. But look at verse 40 again. But Martha was distracted with serving. 
So I, I think this is fair to say from this short passage that serving without Jesus at the center, without serving and connecting it to Him, leaves it short. Something's lacking. See, Martha had forgot about Jesus. She hears that Jesus is coming to her house and all of a sudden the focus was not on Jesus, it was on her serving. And the son of, this was the Son of God. She knew He was special. Not was serving bad here? The answer is no. But she missed something. Now, in, in fairness to Martha, what would we do if we got a note from Jesus and said, next week we're showing up at your home? What would you do? Would you not clean the house from top to bottom? Wouldn't we do that? Dust, clean. And some of you would even take out your Bibles and dust them off and then put them on the end table in there and to the ones that we've underlined, we would stick those so Jesus sees that. Isn't that really? Okay. So I think we've got to be a little careful with looking at Martha and condemning her. But, but here's another issue. Because Mary picked what was best sitting at Jesus' feet. But here's, over the years, what I've seen too often, not all the time, but sometimes, it's where people pull away from serving, pull away from serving the body of Christ or in some area, and, and their intentions are to, yeah, to rest and rejuvenate, and, but somehow they don't really move towards sitting at the feet of Jesus. And frankly, what happens is they pull it back from one area and they just move to another area and begin to plug in there and serve there. And I'll be honest with you, the frustration at times in that is that I see that over the years and people pull back from serving at a church or their, their body of Christ and all of a sudden they're serving over in a sports team for three, four, five hours a week. And you go, somehow that's not, there's not a, Consistency there. See, motivation, why we do what we do, makes a difference. Matter of fact, let me put a couple questions that need to get answered. Why do we serve? If you're serving, why do we? What's the motivation? And maybe a second one, why don't we serve? If we're not serving and serving Christ, you have to ask the question, why? But let me drill down here a little bit more and point out a reality. And for your notes, just because we serve someone or something, including the church, that does not guarantee that our primary motive to serve included Jesus. And this is what we're going to be unpacking over the next few weeks. But let me push this to an example, a personal example. Now, what if somebody comes to me and says, Ken, they open their Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 and says this, Ken, in order for you to obey God, you need to love your wife like Christ loved the church. And so I get all excited and go, I am going to obey God. I'm going to love my wife because 
I'm supposed to do that. And, and what I do then, I, I go to my computer and I start, well, for next week, let me show you the list that I created so I can prove to Jesus that I love my wife. I'm going to clean the car for Deanna. I'm going to help her with breakfast dishes. I'm going to clean the bathroom. I'm going to help her make the bed. And I'm going to wash the windows. She really likes clean windows. So I'll prove to Jesus when Jesus comes around, he's, I can take out my list and say, look at Jesus, I have served my wife. I've obeyed you. But, but, somewhere back in the corners of my little mind back there, there's this little dot of a thought. And it kind of goes like this. I served Deanna. You know, she really should serve me back just a little bit. Shouldn't she? I, I've done all these things for her. Now I should get at least something back. And, and you know what? This is what I think, what I really deserve. I demonstrate, well, let me put it on the screen. I demonstrated my love to her so now I can go fishing without getting in trouble. I, I deserve it now that I've served and loved her. Folks, our motives may or may not have anything to do with real love. In this case, it was really an economic exchange. I serve her, she serves me back by letting me go fishing. It wasn't love. It was, frankly, it's probably closer to manipulation. And the, well, it might have been love. It was love of fishing. It was the real motivation that I created the list. See, we must come to a place where we admit that we at times even have levels and conflicting motivations as to why we do what we do. And some of those motivations actually are fighting against each other. I remember when my son turned 16 to get his driver's license. And on one hand, to get his license, I was motivated for him to have his license. Why? We didn't have to drive him around as much. That was one side of the motivation. But over here, there was a conflicting one that was pushing back saying, ah, you know what, it's wintertime, there's ice on the roads, I don't think he's a very good driver. And, and frankly, the motivation to not have it was probably coming from fear. I, I didn't trust. And they were actually pushing against each other in contradictory, it seemed like contradictory ways. See, we must admit that our motives, our reasons of why we serve, why we serve Jesus, are not simple and it's not just good or bad. But I need to point out to you three things that intersect with serving in this issue of motives. Let me put them on the screen. These factors that so are in, linked to it and intersect with it. First is our view of God. How we view God. Who God is to us. The second, our view of other people. And the third, our view of ourselves. Now understand this, that number one is probably the determining factor of two and three. And we'll be going down that path. 
So when it comes to serving, whether you serve the church, whether you serve your spouse, your children, serve at work, it will always be shaped by your understanding of who God is. But for this Sunday, this is just the introduction Sunday, I want to dig in just a couple passages just to help set the stage for as we move forward here. And it's some challenge, biblical challenges. But if you notice, the title of the series was Serving God, Duty or Delight or Other. So you probably realize where I'm going. It's this issue is we want to come to a place where we're serving God with delight. And, and we want to explore what that means We want to explore some of the faulty beliefs that we have about God and faulty motives. We want to go to a place where serving God is not drudgery, where it's not just some task to be fulfilled. See, the issue of delighting in God is at the hub of every aspect of serving. And we're going to point to this issue over and over again. But it applies to serving Christ, serving in a church. It applies to how you serve your spouse or your family or your friends or your neighbors. So we want to dig in this issue of serving. But just for an introductory passage, look at Revelations chapter 2. It's got some points that intersect pretty profoundly for us. Revelation 2, let me read it, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduringly, patiently, and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. See, verse 2 there, all of a sudden you realize, these guys, John's writing this church. In Ephesus, you're working hard. Faithful, you're working for the kingdom of God. Lots of effort. Does he say that this is bad? No, it's not saying it's bad. It just that something is missing. Here was a church, a group of people where John says, you have patient endurance and you're, you're, you're figuring out what evil is and you're calling that which is really evil, evil. You're figuring out who is speaking the truth. Deceptive people out there. And yet, something is missing. And even says this, you've got great discernment on doctrine, on the truth. And you recognize when people are slightly off, that aren't biblical. You spot air quickly. And yet, something is wrong. And notice in verse 3, you're enduring persecution. You're standing firm in Jesus. And you're expecting, you're waiting for Christ's return. And in the midst of trouble, you're lifting up the name of Jesus. And with strength and power. But something is amiss. Look at verse 4. But I have this against you, that you abandon the love you had at first. 
Now, listen, all of these things as he was writing to the church, they're not bad. Frankly, they're needed within a church. They're important. And we can't think that they're not important. But their effort was given toward these good things, but somehow the love relationship that had first inspired them to serve, it was missing. To say it a different way, their motivation changed. The heart of a real love relationship with God was replaced, and I think it was this, by duty. See, one can have the truth, you can do good stuff, but without a relationship with that person, with Jesus. This can, by the way, this can happen in a marriage as well. And it can happen with our Heavenly Father, with God, with Jesus. Our passion of desiring to know Him and to love Him can slide away. A church, our lives. Maybe just give another illustration. Maybe it's like this, is that a church is like a bus. A good-sized bus. And when it usually starts, when a church is planted in the early years, I think more often than not, the motivation to do church is much more pure than it is 20, 30 years down the line. I think there's delight. I think there's a love of God, a passion for God that starts churches. And loving God and delighting God are driving that bus. But all of a sudden, somehow, love and delight moves from the driver's seat, it moves to the seat right behind the driver in the bus. And yeah, love and delight is talking to the driver. And then all of a sudden, either in our lives or in a church, more things start coming on the bus. Programs for a church. Kids, all of the stuff in our own lives. And all of a sudden, love has gone from the, right behind the driver. It goes to the next seat. And then it goes farther back as more things get pushed in the bus. And all of a sudden, we find that love and delight is sitting in the back seat of a bus. And then you get a bump on that bus, and the back door flies open, and love and delight falls out of the bus and is on the side of the road. And when you ask the question, who's driving the bus at that point? And I think it's stuff like this, words like this. Duty, even obedience, performance, our own needs, tradition. Now, now I mentioned a word here, obedience, and here you go, Okay, Ken, what do you mean by that? Is that a bad thing? And the answer is no. Even duty, there's a place for that. And, And I would say it this way, that Israel was actually cursed because they didn't obey God. But look at Deuteronomy 28 once. Let me show you a verse here. Here was a warning that God came to Israel and said, if you don't obey me, 
here's the curse. Here's the, here's the consequences for it. Look at how it starts. Verse 45. All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep His commandments and His statutes that He commanded you. Look at verse 46. They shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever. Verse 47. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. Now, understand this passage here. When he talks about obeying Him, it laser beams back to chapters 5 and 6. Chapter 5 is the Ten Commandments. and chapter 6, let me read you the summary of the law. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Serving Christ, serving God. Is it duty? Is that how we approach serving God? As a dutiful obligation? Or is there some other motive there that we're really, if we want to stop and pause and, and look at our hearts and say there's really something else going on? Or is it really a, a place where it is delightful? And, and is there a place that we can go and serve the King of Kings with joyfulness and gladness of heart? Is that possible? And how do we get there? Now, and I know, I realize that there's probably some that go, oh, Ken, why do you spend so much time on motives? And just, just do it. Nike expression. But let me connect one more passage of Scripture to serving here. Luke 6.45 Look at how this reads. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil per person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Now, understand the writers of the Scriptures understood this, that the heart is at the motivational center of your life. James 4 talks about the bowels within you and what causes quarrels and conflict. It's about that which was in you that where things, reasons why we do what we do are all put there. That's the heart. Now, let me just... Twist that last phrase. What what it says? What you says? What you say flows from what is in your heart. What if I read it this way? How and why you serve flows from what is in your heart. Look at on the next screen. Why do we serve? Why? Why we serve is about the heart. What we serve is about the heart. Everybody serves. It's just what? 
Why we don't serve is about the heart as well. Why don't we choose some things we say no to, others we say yes. Why don't we serve over here? Are you catching back to the main point? Our motive makes a difference in how we serve the body of Christ. It makes a difference how we serve our families. It makes a difference how we serve people at work in the kingdom of God. Serving is an important issue. Deeply critical to us. Matter of fact, let me connect this as to why it's so important. The only reason that we can serve let me show you this verse. And, and elders, if you want to come on up, we can do communion as well. But look at this verse, Matthew 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but look what he did. Jesus actually came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We start off, I've got to serve Jesus. Do we realize, do we ever pause and go, Jesus is serving, has served us. Matter of fact, that service, we are reminded of it today. So here's what I'd like you to do. When they're passing out, guys, go ahead and pass out the, the bread. When you're taking that, would you just ponder for a moment of going, Jesus served me. And then think of it this way. What was the motive of Jesus coming to serve? Do you realize when you look at His Father, it was God's love that He sent His Son to serve us. And and He wants us to respond to that love and serve out of that same kind of love. And that's where we're going to go in these next few weeks. I'd encourage